You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome to another episode of Intellectual Erection with your host, Patrick. So this will be the final episode of this season. I guess it's a season is what I'm going to call it. Uh because the holidays are coming up and the new season is going to begin in January, first uh, Monday in January, I believe, first week, if not the second. And this episode will actually give you a hint of what's to come in the next season. So we've done a lot of uh, interviews here with a lot of people, getting a sort of introduction into the lives uh, of the humans in Toronto that practice uh, polyamory, kink, uh, BDSM, fetish, or are allies of these communities, are sex positive in nature. And now we're going to move on to more topical episodes where I speak with individuals specifically about certain topics within these sex positive communities and we get a little bit more in depth. Today's episode will focus specifically on some academic work uh, by a good friend of mine on SNM. And in January, what's to follow are going to be an array of topics. We're going to be talking about uh, race play. We're going to talk to cancer survivors. We're going to talk uh, about specific uh, BDSM practices with individuals who are experts at it and a whole slew of other fun things and sometimes the not so fun things like some dense conversations about consent. So with that, I also want to say that if you are listening and you are interested in being on the show, being interviewed, if you have something to say, a sexy story, a not so sexy story, you have some experience, you want a platform to speak about sex positivity, well this is it. Send me an email, intellectualerection at gmail.com and As always, for the rest of you, subscribe, like, listen, write a review, and if you want to support Intellectual Erection, please visit GoFundMe slash Intellectual Dash Erection. All your help is welcome and needed, so thank you, and enjoy the episode. I'm sitting here with a very special guest today, who goes by the name of Alice. Uh, you can introduce yourself, whatever you want to share about who you are, what you do. Hi, I'm Alice. And I'm very happy to finally be applying uh, the knowledge that I spent a year get- getting during my master's degree. Thank you, Patty, for giving me a reason to get a master's degree. Now I can use it here at your show. Oh, <laughs> well, glad to have you. Um, so what what uh, what did you do your your masters in? Or it was in women's studies, and mm-hmm. I specifically focused on SNM. Wonderful! This is just the type of stuff that we need on this show. Um, okay, so we can dive right in then. Uh, customarily, I'll ask how this all began for you. If there was ever, uh, you know, an initial 
thing that set you on this path kink poly bdsm whatever it is that you're interested in mm-hmm. Okay, so um, the main thing that interested me to research uh, BDSM or SNM, as I like to say, thanks to Rihanna, who popularized the phrase SNM. Did she? Yeah, the song S S N M M M. Oh my God, we're YouTubing it after. How did I not know this? Oh, God, there's so many things you have to learn in the world, Patty. <laughs> I know, man, I know, I know. Yeah, so, anyways, back to your podgasm. Oh. <laughs> which, thank you so much, Patty. I'm so happy to be in your podgasm. Thanks. Um, I coined that phrase earlier today. No, you didn't. I made the phrase and I copyrighted it. Patty's trying to steal my shit. You can't do it. Can I swear on your show, Patty? Fuck no. <laughs> All right, we're off to a good start. Go ahead. So um, what drew me into doing research on SNM specifically was um, basically um, noticing around me the representations about um, um, female sexuality and what that desire ought to look like. Um, and it seemed to me all around that you know, um, in our society, Western society specifically, there's such a uh, sexualized image of women, yet uh, that sexuality does not resonate with their desire. So, um, you know, you are a sexual object, but you have no desire of your own. Um, but yet, um, as a feminist, being a person who studied feminism, mm-hmm. you know, of course, um, I had... Um, other other discourses that uh, I was informed by, so um, I found uh, I found there to be a certain contradiction between you know this eroticism and yet um, the lack of opportunity for men to express this this desire, um, but the, yet another level which was what if you know some women desire that objectification they desire that um, that inequality even if it's for a restricted context right in in a limited sexual context not that women want to be dominated and so on but what if certain women do have certain desires which seem to be contradicting um, feminism so to speak so so what I'm hearing is that you you wanted to sort of challenge those notions of of what the the common idea was about what women ought to to find um, arousing, or there's somewhere where you began this statement mm-hmm. where you were saying that that it drew you in because there was some sort of idea about what women ought to be maybe turned on by or, mm-hmm. or seeking sexually, and maybe did you disagree with that? And that's um. Well, I mean, in a way, um, it was more so the representation that I saw of women. For example, there's a lot of um, representations of non-consent, right? Or even in um, in older arts, you know, let's say from the 1500s or whatever, right? Just images of women um, experiencing violence and the way it was sexualized and the fact that all of these were um, represented by male authors, um, I found it very, very troubling, and, um, but yeah, there was a certain desire there that could have emanated from women, um, and what did that desire mean, and how, how could I understand this and explore this as a feminist? Uh, what, what is it that you, you wrote about, specifically? 
So what I wrote about was um, this seeming contradiction that um, that existed between or that exists between uh, feminism and masochism, right? So um, here you have this normative or mainstream representation of a certain power relation between um, men and women, one uh, in a sexual context in which men are dominant and women are um, submissive. Um, and um, you know, this, there's a power relation there which, which is unequal and which is highly eroticized. And, uh, and so my exploration was um, on um, le the, legitima the legitimacy of, you know, of women uh, holding this, this kind of paradigm for themselves. And mm -hmm. um, would it be a contradiction if a, if a, if a feminist is a masochist as well? And, so, and did you have? Well, no. I, is I, it? Is it? I, is it? I, I obviously have my suspicions that it's not going to be. There's just ways to be obviously empowered with uh, as a uh, masochist, and there's ways to be disempowered as a masochist. So I'm curious, uh, from your academic experience, what what that means, right? And how that's defined, actually. How do you? How does one actually make? Uh, this is a legitimate question. How, how does one mm -hmm. make that difference for themselves and? Uh, between being empowered in that position and being disempowered? Uh, well, actually, it's um, a very big debate in uh, feminist studies. Uh, it seems that there are two groups. One is the pro-sex group, and the other one is the anti-sexism group. You know, you can have varying names and labels, but mm -hmm. let's go with those t t uh, labels for now. And um, Does, do these labels have anything to do with sex positivity and negativity? Oh, right. Well, pro sex, right? It's one. Um, it's one which is right more sex positive and anti sex, and it's one which is pro censorship, kind of or, okay, or anti pornography. So, right. So right? one group would be pro sex workers uh, empowerment, right. uh, Pornography, and the other ones would be no. This is damaging and exactly okay. anti sexism. Right. Let's say that's right. kind of the more generous term. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can. I have no idea which side you're leaning towards by your comments. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I think there, there's legitimacy to both, right? But of course. The problem is when, um, in my eyes, is when uh, you tell people what, the, you know, especially women or uh, people who are marginalized for whatever reason, that, you know, their desires are wrong or that any sort of desire that doesn't fit a certain um, standard that they have set, preset, mm -hmm. Um, is damaging right right whereas um, you know a more um, situated analysis of the representation of uh, women's own desires you know shows that uh, there's a lot of potential for agency there so you know how are you hoping to empower women if um, you're kind of dictating or shaming them um, yeah, you know and yeah. further alienating them from their own bodies yeah, that's that's a very good question. So, in your work, then, uh, what was your what was your thesis? What did you focus so on? So, my thesis was an exploration on how SNM, which again um, is uh, short for sadomasochism, but how many syllables? Why do I need to spend all that time saying that word? Right. So, SNM, uh, how it can help us. Um, uh, in terms of understanding and uh, revealing um, unequal relations of power. So how can we 
um, engage sexuality um, in order to, you know, not only have more mutually beneficial and mutually pleasurable um, relations um, between people, but um, and also to reveal um, hidden systemic relations of inequality related to sex, gender, sexual orientation, uh, ra race, class, and so on. So I take it from the, your position in women's studies that you leaned more towards the uh, sex positivity on the spectrum between the negative and the, the sort of positive camp? Well, I mean, if I'm spending a year hating S&M, <laughs> I'm really a big loser. <laughs> if I'm writing, like, you know, a hundred pages on why S&M is so bad, like, you, what am I doing with my I'm life? I'm curious, do you still remember the, the title of your thesis, your master's thesis? Oh, no, actually. I really don't because there were so many little chapters in it. I do. You know. No, the reason I ask is because I don't think most academics remember the titles of anything they wrote. It's like <laughs> this convoluted uh, blah, 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 colon, explanation. <laughs> Bracket. Yeah. I'm really into titles, so I usually remember, but I don't remember this one. What was your favorite thing to write about? My favorite thing to write about was... Um, Phenomenology, so using phenomenology, which is um, a field of philosophy that explores experience, basically tries to understand how it is that specific experiences are felt. Um, so it's a method through which to understand phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, so I would use uh, method uh, phenomenology as a method to understand um, Sexuality, basically, right. and S and M. So that was my favorite. I mean, from your academic work, uh, what's the uh, phenomenological experience of um, of an S and M relationship from maybe the perspective of I don't, I don't know what you wrote about more more prominently uh, the the sadist, the masochist, the sadomasochist. Uh, I presume it was probably the feminine experience of being one of those or both. Um, in, that's a good question. One of the major things that I was focusing on was on masochism specifically and uh, that experience and um, so that was actually fun too um, but I was actually using literary works for example mm. Venus in Furs written by uh, uh, Von Sacker Masoch uh, an Australian uh, Austrian um, writer from the what late 1800s who uh, wrote this book Venus in Furs from which we get the um, the t title of masochism I thought it was Rihanna <laughs> Rihanna Kampf with S and M M I, I, gotta, I gotta see the video <laughs> it's really good is it? she's like switch in it she's both Sub and Dom, she's all the things. How does how does this how has this evaded me? <laughs> it's, like, it's super old, you know. And and I was writing my thesis around the time when Rihanna made the song, so I was like, wow, I am so in with the times. You were hip. I was hip. What happened to me? You're still pretty hip in my books. <laughs> oh, thanks, Patty. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, um, so then I want to ask you if uh, if you have any particular. Um, identities that have formed through your you know academic learning experience through your own 
personal experiences uh, navigating this sort of world, uh, kink, poly, BDSM, what it is that you study, and, and uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Okay, yeah. So, you know, as you may have already uh, gotten a hint, I do identify with feminism, so I do consider myself a feminist. Intersectional? Oh my god, you like stole (laughs) my thoughts. Right? There's no other way to be. And doing the specific research I did further um, reiterated to me how important it is to... um, take an intersectional approach in exploring issues of sexuality because even in contemporary BDSM communities and you know um, or poly communities all of these communities which which you know claim a certain liberation from uh, normative standards of right. behavior and sexuality there is still such a limited um, analysis of race so for example right mm-hmm. um, or, or other identities other than uh, gender if, if there is that right that was uh, that was in the abstract of the of the article that I read that <laughs> you wrote yeah so um, there's one you know the fem- intersectional feminist um, I would also identify myself um, as poly. But you know what's funny, actually? So, you know, you can say non-monogamous, okay? But then I'm like, you know, I don't want to be a non-something. Exactly. That's what I tell people, too. Yeah, and you know what? You're not a negation of something. Yeah. You're something in itself. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm not. If I, if I don't want to be monogamous, I'm not going to constantly remind myself of what I'm not or what exactly. I don't want to be. You're not so, high degree. You don't arrive at your conclusion by negation. Speaking of phenomenology, <laughs> uh, being it, I'll tell you what it's not before I tell you what it's No, but, uh, but I, I completely agree with what you said, and I've actually stated this before, is uh, the reason I, I, I prefer the term poly as an umbrella to ethical non-monogamy is that it, the, the negation, the non-monogamy, just sounds like there's a normative thing which you're not. And by having that sort of mentality then you're again placing yourself in that position of being the outsider. Yeah, it's the same for, um, and it de- you know... Yeah, it makes it look like you're unnatural, like you're unnatural, you're just, non-something. Yeah. It's like a yeah. reactionary, right? Or, yeah. for example, when people say non-white, right? It's like, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to set the one thing as the baseline. Yeah. Or you don't want to encapsulate, you know, oh, what are these people who are not white? You know, are they black? Are they East Asian? Are they South Asian? Right? So you say just non-white, is, but it's... It's just so binary, but that, right? But it also makes white the standard. It does. Right? It does. So you don't... You, and that's exactly my problem with it. I don't want to make monogamy the standard. Even though it is, it's not a standard that we chose. It's a standard that became. It's a standard that um, actualized, yeah. right? But that... I don't want it to sound like it's my three favorite ends. Normal, natural, or necessary, <laughs> Right? It's it is another social construct, yeah. and it just happens to be the popular one. So I agree with you. Anyways, go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. 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 It's okay. Um, so that's another identity that um, or community I would identify with. Um, um, one um, again, this is kind of reactionary, but so in in these communities, right, um, of alternative sexualities, so to speak. Uh, the term kinky is also used a lot, but as you read in my paper, mm-hmm. um, kink has this very racialized um, history, right? Right, to do with uh, 
to do with um, well right now for example kink still refers to you know curly hair exactly. um, but in the past um, not, not in usage anymore but it was an American slang used to refer to black people uh, or to criminality um, and yet now it, it's almost exclusively used to refer to sexual deviance or yeah. perversion, right? I, I think that most people don't even know. I mean, I knew yeah. about the, the, the reference to hair. So if you say this person has kinky hair, it's obviously you're talking about something ethnic. You're talking about something... Not that, obviously, but... I, well, I mean, it's, it, it sounds immediately <laughs> derogatory in that kind of way. Not necessarily, but... I mean, I've been, I, I, hear, yeah. I, I remember once a long time ago, I used the word... Uh, uh, kink I think to describe some kind of like knot in a hair and somebody just looked at me weird and they're like yeah you need to kind of look at the etymology right, of that right so yeah I think that's that's the only reference I knew I, I didn't even know actually about the uh, the references to criminality yes yes black folk yes yes so um there is there is that um, you know you can look up you know Oxford uh, Oxford English Dictionary which you know OED online, that's what all, right, the, um, that's what they use in academia mostly, it's standard for dictionaries, um, yeah, but who cares, yeah. anyways, um, so um, there's, there's that, that layer of meaning which uh, is not made, made, we're not made aware of, and, um, yeah, it's not readily apparent, that's for sure, which, which definitely speaks to the, the way that sexuality is deracialized, right, so in current, neoliberal societies we live mm. under this ethos of pure love and love as untainted by um by race or by class yeah. you know what i mean even, even now that uh, let's say gay marriage is legalized you know you can even say it's untainted further untainted by these arbitrary categories however um these categories are very much in play in our understanding of um sexuality and power relations right so the, it's the notion that love is supposed to be blind just like right, uh, which is just, ableist. Ju ju just like <laughs> I didn't ju say that. just like justice <laughs> right oh gosh <laughs> well nothing wrong with being blind to say <laughs> yeah but there's something wrong with justice <laughs> there's no justice we need a whole podcast for that one, but uh, justice where is but that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting perspective is that that love uh, I'm hearing you say that love is getting pushed as this um, how am I going to put this now it's being pushed as this borderless sort of holistic concept that's supposed to be uh, devoid of any um, issues of gender race mm -hmm. religion ethnicity mm -hmm. whatever it may be all the things that are still socio-politically problematic for a lot of people mm -hmm. and again this is my poking again at justice and the legal <laughs> system and the and and society right uh love is supposed to be that that escape from it all right it's supposed to transcend borders mm -hmm. that's what I'm, that's the word i was kind of going for the, this transcendent yeah right. it's supposed to transcend all these sorts of things i mean even pride parade right love is love love is this it's supposed to, to transcend right these things. and yet you have uh, you know a thousand and one corporations yeah. selling you things and uh -huh. uh, during all of this who sells you the best rainbow <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah speaking of of rainbows um another identity uh, I, I, um, I would I associate with you know is 
is queerness, um, queer both as, as a sexual orientation but also as a political category. But, um, you know, because uh, people are very hesitant, I think, to embrace queer as a, as a sexual orientation or sexual category because of the political ladenness of it. So, you know, there was a time when I, I myself was unsure about queer politics, so I didn't feel it was fair for me to embrace that title. So I made my own term, mm. and it's ultra-sexual. Ultra? It's like being pansexual, but it includes other kitchenware, not just pans. Wow, you are awesome. <laughs> You're the Sorry! <laughs> I just, I always like your terms. What was it, podgasm today? Podgasm. And then you've also, I don't know if this was you that coined the super-sensualism. Super-sensual, yeah. actually. So that's another another label I would use yeah, for myself. Like, Right. Not, so super sensual is actually the original masochism. So really? masochism comes from Karl Kraft Ebbing, some Austrian dude, you know, you like sexologist. I don't like them, but they're there, you know? What? <laughs> they write stuff. I don't hate them, but, you know, they do write very harmful things that, you know, pathologize millions of people. So I don't like There's that no part. There's one particular Austrian that I think the world is familiar with. Freud, right? He, oh, God! Oh, God! You're thinking... I don't want to talk about any of that. That's hilarious. That was good. So, Karl Kraft Ebbing, <laughs> late 1800s, um... He, he was kind of the father, so to speak, of sexology. Mm -hmm. he, he came up with these terms, masochism and sadism, or sadism. Um, they both come from the literary traditions, right? Marquis yeah. de Sade yeah. and uh, von Sacher Massoc. Um, Venus in first, specifically, his, his novel. Yeah, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Also so, Austrian. Yes. Right. Yes. And... Um, but in Venus in Furs, of course, you know, the guy, the author, Masoch, isn't going to say masochism, right? So he would use the term super sensualist Ooh. to describe um, the, the main character who, you know, um, displayed what we would today analyze as um, masochistic tendencies mm -hmm. or masochistic behaviors. But the term used by the author himself was super sensualist, which I actually I really like because... Yeah. Well, other than not existing in this binary, right, of dominant, sub, or, or passive, active, mm -hmm. um, it, it more highlights, um, it doesn't highlight this relation of dependence to another term, it more highlights a, a very intense experience, right? Super sensual, right, right, right. so you, you feel things so much. Yeah. And that's that's what uh, characterizes. It has a very it has a very positive connotation. Yeah. As opposed to masochism, you immediately yeah. think of you know dark something to do with horns. Nothing uh, wrong with darkness. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm smiling as I'm saying this, but other people, I don't know. We uh, gotta we gotta undo the the way that language um, solidifies identities and you know this whole symbolic order, right? You know we gotta. Down with the symbolic order. We gotta, you know, um, exactly. We gotta just reassess. Reassess, which, destroy. Uh, which I actually wanted to ask you something. When you mentioned about um, queer politics, uh, the, so you said you hesitated for a while to, uh, to identify as queer because um, of uh, something to do with the politics of queerness. 
I just didn't know them enough, you know. Same for feminism. It took me years. It took, in my second year of studying feminism, that's when I thought, thought, okay, now I can say I'm a feminist. Not because I was, like, ashamed, but because I'm like, I'm not worthy. Yeah, you got to earn it. Yeah, you gotta exactly. Earn your stripes, you know, no. you can't just be like, oh, I'm a feminist, oh, I'm a queer. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. It's either right. you earn your stripes or you fake it till you make you it. Earn, right? I mean, yeah. but there's one thing about self-identification and there's another thing when there's already an existing group or existing history there. Yeah. If you have no understanding or no, no, you make no effort to know that, then what makes you a part of this, right? Exactly. So it's got to be... There's work that needs to be done. At one point, exactly. So it's at one point when somebody asks you some questions about this that you feel comfortable enough to answer mm-hmm. them, that's when you're maybe more okay with it. Another reason why queerness um, or queer is so popularized um, is because of um, a resistance to binary understandings right. um, of sexuality. So even the term bi or bisexual, um, you know, doesn't sit well with some people, right? Because it, it, it's seen as binary, even though I, I, and I completely acknowledge there's so much work done in bisexuality studies that go against, you know, um, bisexual as as a binary term right, right. Uh, so i not at all do not i do not at all would uh, want to discredit that work though i've seen some people that have um have identified as bisexual and then have also uh stopped for a second pause and said well maybe no pansexual um maybe bisexual i've seen them go back and forth a little mm-hmm. bit uh and understandably so right because you know Labels are difficult. Labels are difficult to fully, uh, and, and a lot of my guests on the podcast have have had difficulty with labels, with poly, with kink, with fetish, with uh, with sexuality, yeah. with all of it, because it just it seems like it's limiting, and it goes back to uh, what, yeah. what one of my guests Identity once said. You know, Wilde. Oscar Wilde said to define <laughs> is to to limit, right? So. There's a little bit of... <laughs> of course, a old dead white man knows all that, you know, we need to, to live in the current world. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wilde. <laughs> well, it was... A, okay, so the thing is that, you know, in a, in a postmodern world, right, POMO, you know... A POMO. In, in a POMO, whoa. POMO, everyone knows POMO, that's Do postmodern. They? Almost stands for postmodern. So, mm. in the postmodern world, in which you know truth has been questioned, there are no solid, uh, solid knowledge. Nothing, you know, everything is in the air. There is no, no more um, objectivity, right? right. Um, labels. Why do we need labels? That's just you know they're limiting, right? But at the same time, there but are people also, yeah. doing real work every yeah. day. There are people who you know experience oppression, and there are people who, right, who need, need their labels, or they need certain certain uh, clear definitions, yeah. you know, f- for work that they are doing. Yeah, and um, you know they need. I think the question here is who's making the labels? Are people getting to define themselves, or are they getting defined? Yeah. And it's it's again it goes back to what you were saying earlier about uh, agency, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's that's an important topic is who's who's making you the sub who's making you the masochist oh is you it want to you? talk about that now <laughs> well anytime <laughs> right like it, it, it and and i i think well that, apparently um you know carl craft ebbing made us all masochists <laughs> super sensualist and freud was like oh you know sadomasochism all over the place yeah pathologizing <laughs> sadomasochism oh for sure mm. okay Very i mean it depends right um 
I think that this this um, this repulsion towards labels mm -hmm. is very much um, a symptom of a neoliberal society, which in which we are all just individuals. It's just the capitalist ethos of you know we all have equal buying power, um, and I think you know what some people perceive as freedom from all of that mundane uh, you know chains of of titles and labels. Mm -hmm. um, is in fact a privilege, right? You know, yeah. who, who is this universal? You're not that universal. We're all embodied beings, and your body sits in a certain place um, in this in this carousel of freaking freaking people and movement <laughs> no, <laughs> and freaking fuck shits. Like <laughs> Did you say fuck shits? That's that's, that's, a, that's an academic term. Oh yes, yes. I read a paper on fuck shits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was Carl Kraft Ebbing from <laughs> that one. That one dude from uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Austria. Austria, yeah, 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 yeah. Dead white guy, I presume. Dead white guy, yeah. you know, yeah, freaking super old. Dead. Super centralist. Super centralist. <laughs> that guy. So, anyways, in, in the car in the carousel of so, of embodiment, where right, you are, right? But, we are bodies, and our bodies, you know, are mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, Heidegger says. We are thrown into uh, a world of existing relations, right? Mm -hmm. We find ourselves in this world. We didn't start the world. The world didn't start. The world didn't start when I came into it, as much as some people like to think, um, right? We are. There's our, uh, a world already there, right? And yeah. your body is read in certain ways, and your experience is 100% determined based on how your body fits in that network of relations. Exactly. Um, and this is why I say, who's making the labels? Yeah. Right. Because if you resist, um, if you resist labeling yourself, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be labeled. Yeah. And if you don't take, um, not take, because that's another kind of neoliberal way of looking at it, take agency. No, uh, but but that's why queer is so interesting because queer was a term that right was used to stigmatize, and I'm sure today yeah. there's still some yeah. people who think that's an insult. Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, boy. Super queer, right here. Mm -hmm. We're here. We're clear. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I mean for sure. But I think this 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 kind of position of no position mm -hmm. is an imposition, <laughs> and it's an it's impossible a, position. It's a privilege to those people who yeah. can get away with it. It's like let me just extricate myself. It's is this myth of you know bird's eye view. This way I can just see everything. Yeah. Well, you know I'm what? objective. I'm I'm yeah. Yeah. No, and I, and I agree with you. I, I think that's also the, the push in politics, right? Is people who try to be aloof. They mm. try, yeah, they try to, mm. to step out of politics. Yes, in fact, I have right. a book on my shelf called The Moral Fool. This, uh, this guy tried to write about, uh, you know, well, morality is all over the place. So I just take this position of this like aloof oh, bystander. And, and I, I read this with, uh, even back in my BA when I was much more ignorant than I am today, I think. You've grown so much, Patty. Oh, thank you so I much. should know. I've known you since you were like twelve. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I stop reading these white dudes, lol. <laughs> lol. I, it was part. A goof, a goof. Who cares? Listen, it was part of my, my coursework made by a white dude. So. Oh. Oh. Okay, um, anyway, so I, I read this was guy. Was it written by him? No, no, be no, no, it wasn't written by him. <laughs> do that shit. No, it's one of his people. Okay. But <laughs> anyway, so immediately when I read this, I'm like, I, I just, I had this anger in me. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm like, how do you, how dare you say you can back away from from engaging with the moral question? Mm -hmm. And back then, it wasn't even a, a question of, of responsibility. It was just a question of like, how do you think you can get away with it? 
right? That was back then. Now I have a different position. Now it's like, well, if you don't back away, uh, sorry, if you don't engage in the politics, then you have picked a side. Absolutely. And and, and also you're. It also shows that the privilege that you have in mm-hmm. being able to back exactly. away because nobody's pushing you nobody's stigmatizing you nobody's marginalizing you so the thing with identities i i believe is that if you don't find a way to be agentic and embodied with certain identities that are either apparent about you or ones that you want to develop and create on your own then some might be made about you and if they're beyond your control they can be very harmful to you i mean you basically uh, explained why i think you know SNM is so amazing um, and but I'm specifically into a certain kind um, of SNM which I don't think is that popular because it's really hard to practice and it's even more edge play I think than, than certain other which is basically psychological SNM or um, so basically it's like consensual mindfuckery <laughs> consensual mindfuckery oh boy so and and that's you know it's, it's a very very um, I think heavy thing uh, but one thing that I find um, very interesting, um, but um, yet sense a lot of hesitation from people. Um, but it's, well, the reason why it's interesting to me is basically you're engaging emotional, um, you know, you, you of course preset boundaries and you have a process of negotiation, what is okay to say or to take up um, in a certain exchange with another person. But you're basically using, you know, certain, certain points of, pressure or of tension and and you're engaging those and you're basically poking at people you know in these consensual ways um exactly for that reason that you said which is there are certain it's not that you are let's say you insult someone right in this consensual setting Mm -hmm. it's not that you are you're saying to them something you mean right you're using something that you think is apparent and that you may perceive perhaps that someone would use against them but having it in this safe context can you know further allow you the opportunity to deal with it right it's like you know so to, so to bring your abstraction down to a practical it sounds like in a situation where somebody wants to be humiliated you'd <laughs> no. say something yeah you'd say something like uh you worthless piece of shit sure right and that person doesn't necessarily believe that they're a worthless piece of shit right. but they'd like to engage in that dialectic so that they can feel uh Something that, that arousal, right? Yeah, or, or a sense of arousal. Or it's like something okay. that is lingering at you, eating away at you, and then mm-hmm. when someone says it out loud, it's the opportunity. It's like, oh, I knew you thought that about me. But it's nah. like obviously, you know, it's an opportunity to face um, to face something that is under the surface, mm-hmm. and and that's what I think S and M does. And it brings up and magnifies these relations of inequality, and um, it allows you to play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully in a consensual setting, which is much. So that does sound that sound that does sound quite a bit Freudian now that I think about it. Oh it's like all these yeah all these unconscious or or subconscious maybe semi conscious uh, feelings of I don't know resentment anger aggression are getting a play space that might be safe if it's conducted. But they're not properly. Freudian at all because Freud thought that sadomasochism was you know. Not no, yeah, I don't mean in the compendium only, of his and works. And only missionary position is yeah. good. <laughs> I, would not, I would not want to fuck based on Freud's advice. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. But I don't know. He 
He did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> he did do a lot of cocaine, but if yeah, he was probably into some weird shit. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. His wife, maybe, <laughs> maybe his maybe. wife. <laughs> um, no, but uh, what I meant was with the these unconscious sort of urges, and and then them being. I hear you. Yeah. Them being played out or them being spoken, um, might exercise a form of what Freud loved to call catharsis. The release of like a pent up sort of energy. Mm, I don't know. You're going in a direction which I go the opposite way. Just because, as much mm. as I studied uh, psychoanalysis a lot, um, there is such such an intense pathologization yeah, yeah. of SNM from psychoanalysis that it's almost irredeemable um, through psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, how would you uh, how would you phrase it then? And and uh, well, do, you, do you want to talk about this on a more uh, practical level? Yeah. Yeah, if on a more practical level, mm-hmm. um, basically, S&M or BDSM, you know, bondage, domination, submission, masochism, sadism, all of those different arrays of kind of the same thing, um, allows for the opportunity to create deliberate relationships between people right whereas now we fall into schemas into pre-written blueprints right let's say you you mean let's say you're a man and you meet a woman and your bodies just splat and you intertwine your limbs and your mouths kiss it's like what is that where did you get that script you got that script from somewhere you know whereas with snm you sit with a person you talk to them you say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, you know, do this, yeah. don't do this. And in that process, yes, you're not going to get everything right, right away. But you set boundaries, you, you know, you, you set, you're explaining exactly what it is that you want. Not to say that what you want isn't conditioned into you, right? Let's say you're a man and you're like, I like to be dominant and treat women rough, of course, if they want to. But even if they want to, it doesn't mean you should just unquestioningly go around being a sadist. You know what I mean? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a sadist as a man. But I'm saying it's not a coincidence that you are a male-identified person. That is... Where, where, you know what I mean? Dominance is given to you based on your gender. And now you just happen to to like that. To fit the script. Wow, you are so unique. Well, I'm not, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a derisive way. I'm not Derisive, making fun yeah. of no one. What I am making fun of is uncritical behavior. Yeah, and, I, and I've, I've talked about this before a little bit, and I, I agree with you. I, I think there's healthy ways of coming about uh, practicing these sorts of uh, relationships in unhealthy ways. And I've seen personally healthy and sort of unhealthy doms. Absolutely. And you can kind of notice it in their behavior. You know, there, there's some who who want to live it through and through and exercise it as, as a form of satisfying some sadistic tendencies that they haven't checked, they haven't mm-hmm. assessed for themselves. And it can be very scary. It can be very Absolutely. scary in, in this community. Um, especially for for somebody who who wants to give up a little bit of their vulnerability to somebody else, because the moment that you fall into that position and you get fucked over by somebody, right? How much are you gonna trust the next partner? How much are you gonna trust yourself? Yeah. Right. 
And you, you come into the, the, the poly king fetish community hoping that it's more open, more loving, more connected, um, safer, more consensual. And that might not always be the case. Absolutely. And if you get disappointed both in your, you know, monogamous relationships and then also in, in, in these communities, then it's, it's kind of... Totally. Not kind of. It's a lot shitty. It's, um, it's, it is a lot shitty. And I would like to return to that and talk talk about that more but i want to ask you why is it that you say poly king fetish community i've actually been to all those different events Mm -hmm. and they are very isolated i wish that you know i would go to a poly event and and there's there's uh, fetish people there but there really there aren't that many and and even in the fetish community there i didn't encounter that many poly people well i I grouped them together i think in my (laughs) in my mind in my mind i grouped them i grouped them together (laughs) in my mind as uh sex positivity communities that's the way i kind of see it it's like people who are interested in sex positivity either because they practice multiple multiple relationships with partners either uh amorously sexually or whatever uh they uh, extend maybe a little bit more uh love tolerance understanding towards different kinds of identities different kinds of sexualities different kinds of uh genders and kinks and fetishes it just it seems like it's it's a more sort of enabling sex positive okay i mean i i'm i'm saying that's fine i I they don't always intersect i do wish there was more of an overlap that way you know i could just go to one event and all my needs would be fulfilled (laughs) right i mean i have i've met people who are poly kinky uh into all sorts of fetishes right right so i've i've met i've met a bunch but it's, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of creative individuals yeah. just finding ways to, to mesh these intersections. Intersections? Intersections. Okay. Intersections. Um, uh, right. It's not as good as podgasm, but I'll right. whatever. You're, what, you're do, well, what do, you, do you have some intersections? Do you, do you see these intersections? Does your academic life with your identities with all these things intersect well not so well oh, are you asking me about um uh connection between um these different identities and my academic life or my Whatever. everyday life is that, yeah, is all that? Of it. um well um is there an intersection yes i mean definitely more so um we live in a society in which these are, of course, um, niche identities. They're, they're, they're outside of the norm, right? Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, they, they could be perfectly healthy, they, could, they are more healthy, I think, than, than mainstream relationships, mm-hmm. um, right? You know, than, let's say, enforced monogamy or, or you know, um, normative sexual blueprints. That right. that we are crammed down our throats and wherever else. <laughs> um, sometimes, we, if we consent to cramming things down, our throats, <laughs> it, can, it can be it can be rewarding. Of course, of course, but this is not about that kind. This is about the ideology. It's about reflexive cramming. It's about the <laughs> ideologies that are constantly, you know, even compulsory. Even um, heterosexuality is compulsory, right? A lot of feminist work has been done on on uh, compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah. Right. So all of these ways of being. Um, which are prescribed and imposed and 
and basically um, um, which we of course to our own extent embrace um, all of these exist um, in in relation to those to the outsider identities mm -hmm. and so when you have uh, there there's this relationship where you know one one is privileged the other is not and so there's a lot of uh, difficulties that you face as a member of let's say you know uh, an uh, an identity which is marginalized and um, and therefore one thing I, I I found it difficult you know to to navigate with this um, actually one of um, w you know one happy time was when I did meet you in this scene um, because you're a person I've known for so many years and and to have someone from you know m my youth um, participate in a community that we share together now um, it's it's very empowering because before it was more like there's my normal friends and there's yeah. my you know my cool friends haha <laughs> lol yes I did take a stab at all the normies <laughs> not <laughs> those vanillas normal <laughs> vanillas <laughs> but yeah that that's interesting because it was by coincidence that yeah exactly that and, and there's there's this split right there's this constant split you know here's and and in that in itself curdled is, identities ew <laughs> it sounds so gross. Maria Lagones. Curdled? Yeah. Is it Maria Lagones? Oh my god, I'm sorry. I love you, Maria. <laughs> no. You're great. If that's no, but she, word, she was not talking about Sorry, I Patty just made it sound bad. Uh, yeah, well, With his voice. <laughs> With that voice. male voice ruining With his that male voice and his work. eyes looking at me. No, but okay, to be fair, she was talking about uh she was talking Different about lo no, she's talking about logic. She's talking about um pure versus curdled logic oh so okay, she's okay, okay. she's taking a stab at positivism yeah and, i don't want to call sorry call. yeah but it was also a, it, she was also talking about a, um embodied identities you know and uh and having these things as part of your um i'm trying to remember what she called it it wasn't intersecting identities it was something with a multi um it was a nice word she used. Ah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not coming, it's not coming to me. Um, but you know. Mestiza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mestiza. Mestiza, Mestiza yeah. It's eleven, eleven. Make a wish. Oh boy, <laughs> see this? I remember from back in the day with you. You're the one that introduced me to eleven, eleven, and Rihanna's S M. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, introduce Patty Jasper. Yeah, Mestiza is Mestiza, uh, yes. mixing Mestiza. of Mestiza. Yeah, of Maria Lugones is the bomb. So, Love her. Uh, I was trying to apply um, her notion of, of this curdling logic to exactly what we were talking about. This These curdling identities. No, I don't want to be curdling. <laughs> I don't want to be a curd. <laughs> you don't want to be curdling. I don't want to be curdled. <laughs> yeah, because there's there's not these uh, these easily divisible parts. And that's the whole notion of, yeah. of embodiment is that they blend together. But uh, at the same time, we we desperately try to divide certain parts of ourselves so that we can be at times emotional, at times rational. And we try to pretend like these things don't intersect, but they do. They do deeply so, because what drives an emotion is perhaps an experience, and what drives that experience is a logic, and what happens from that experience with the emotion oh, yeah. forms a logic about the way that we uh, apprehend the world. So in the same way, 
is um, I think there's there's a uh, a force outside of ourselves from mm-hmm. without that pushes in this divide that tries to to segregate who we are into these easily divisible parts. We are the kingster, we are the yeah. the polyamorous, but we are also the respectable worker who doesn't right. talk about these things. But we're really Unless, not. Unless you know you work in a sex yeah, store. We're really not. And for a lot of people or that's not a sex worker. Yeah. That's not a reality. For the sex worker, maybe those yeah, things mesh a little I bit. I think easier. that force is called the racist classist capitalist patriarchal. I was waiting for machinery. Yeah. Also heterosexist and ableist. You forgot neo- neoliberal, you forgot. Neoliberal, <laughs> old liberal, it's all junk. <laughs> but yet here we are, you know. Well. Living in it. But uh, hey, you know, you let's know, talk I, shit about it as much as we can. I have this, uh, I have this um, notion from having read another old white man. Oh God, uh, Nietzsche. Do we even need to know Nietzsche? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> some, some guy. Um, you know, he talked about re- the reassessment of all values. You know, and I think we're kind of in that period now, politically, emotionally, socially. We're just reassessing everything. Uh, what is moral what is ethical what's going on and hopefully that's good hopefully that's what a good it, thing to do it is I agree but it's, it's just it's a period of high tension and a lot of people are very oh, oh pishy poshy I don't believe in this crisis but, think, but no that's, no I, I'm saying that a lot of people are very very um, tense about these issues today and I'm not I'm not making a moral prescription on no, whether that's good or I, bad I but what I'm making, but what I I'm think saying is that in Nietzsche's philosophy, what comes out of that is hopefully a joy. And his joy is the eternal recurrence. Would you want to do all this again? You know, and that's that's going to be very hard for that to come to terms with the historicity that we have. But if the reassessment of all values comes out to be something worthwhile then perhaps it will all be worth it, which is a weird utilitarian way of looking at things. But if it's cyclical, it might not. I don't know. I think... Maybe I'm rambling. I think there is a certain uh, frame of thinking that um, it, that is involved there, which I do not believe in because I don't think we're special. I don't think this time or space is any more special than any other time in history, past and future. This whole uh, idea is, oh, we're having a crisis, all oh, this. I think it's bullshit. No offense, but whatever. Um, it is important to reassess always. Mm-hmm. Reassessing, questioning, you know, as Heidegger calls it and other theorists, questioning is super important. Reassessing um, and it's super important and it's an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, and. And I think that's something that is so vital in in all communities, um, but it's something which in mainstream communities or society, um, it's not encouraged, right? Critical thinking, what's that, you know? Don't think, just buy, mm-hmm. just consume. Uh, whereas in these um, other communities, right, outside of the norm, there is so much more possibility for discussion one of it being uh, one of the reasons being because you are outside and and you do have these meetings whether at manches or play parties or whatever kind of special mm-hmm. exclusive events where you don't invite me <laughs> that you have oh, just wow. kidding lol invite me 
No one's gonna invite me because I say lol so much. Little <laughs> <laughs> mal. Like, no, no lolling little beast. <laughs> Beth. I, well, I didn't mean to uh, to make it sound like it's a no, like it's a special. But I don't, I'm not saying I'm against what you said, mm-hmm. but I do know this this idea very well that oh we're in a crisis is something like studying. It's, I don't think it's it's so much that we're like uh, that I'm trying to emphasize a crisis. I'm just I'm, I'm thinking that right now with the with with the uh, internet age is uh, people are just more uh, not necessarily aware but more vocal because they're given a platform where doesn't mean what they're saying is worth listening to no (laughs) not always not always worth listening to but now there's just more people engaged in the conversation there's more voices yeah more voices that don't know nothing about nothing (laughs) and there's also more there's also more voices being heard that weren't previously true true accessible or didn't previously have access so i just think that there's there's uh there's stronger political tension uh maybe i think each age has its specific characteristics and um Mm. that's that's what i want to say on that (laughs) (laughs) In terms of your question about, um, you know, what what are the, the relationships between um, being part of these communities or, or um, um, accepting these labels for myself and how do they intersect with other parts of my life? Um, um, yeah, there is definitely a split there, right? There's this uh, compartmentalization of being, 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 being. Mm-hmm. Heidegger. <laughs> um, and um, I think that is definitely a symptom of, of this society now. Uh, for example, look on Fat Life, right? You have these profiles that are like, princess by day, slot by night. You know, it's oh, like... Oh, you read my profile? <laughs> <laughs> you're a princess all day. Ooh, you're a slutty princess all day, Patty. <laughs> That's why we love you. Right. But, you know, and, and there's such... And... Um, and it's a little disappointing to be honest um but then again you know i i don't presume just because you're into snm you you are some sort of wizard of society you're a sociologist right so i shouldn't be so harsh um but but there is a disappointment there because of um the these binary this binary thinking right Mm -hmm. only in the bedroom i'm 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 freaky only in the bedroom or or um you know um, what happens behind closed doors, right? There's such a, such a neoliberal thinking, right? Where there's so this much private public split, if you will. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, put some put some gravy on those curdles. <laughs> Fry them up good. This is a very. You know, it's a Canadian joke on poutine. <laughs> it's a poutine. It's a poutine joke. All right. um, Curdles. It's something I've noticed, you know, in the um, amongst S and M practitioners. Why are you giggling? Are you thinking about curls again? <laughs> Curds and <laughs> yes. oh lord, go on. Yes. Yeah, it's something I've noticed. You know, it it's kind of an excusing or justification of of their desires, especially if they're kind of uh, adhering to norms, right? Let's say, um, let's say. Um, someone is a sad a man is a sadist, sadist. Then um, he has a partner or plays with someone who who is a feminine or female and um, and identifies as a masochist. It's like oh yeah, there's this dynamic and yes, in society we live in a society in which you know domestic abuse is a big problem and in which you know 
Women's bodies are constantly objectified and violated. But but what I do is just in the privacy of my own home. Mm. And and this individualization of desire, that's something that uh, does not sit well because um, I think it it dulls the the um, the empowering potential or the the revolutionary potential that I think SNM could have if you buy into these same schemas that the outside or the mainstream world uses to view us. So how would you how would you flip this the uh, the script on that one? Um, well, specifically because um, society has these inequalities, that's why it turns you on to do them. Mm-hmm. First of all, my, one of my main thesis, if you if now that the words are coming, mm. is that unequal power relations are already erotic. Okay. And when you do SNM, you are bring, magnifying that eroticization and you are calling it for what it is, right? You are saying, hey, um, you know, I'm dominating or let's say I'm humiliating you and, and it's problematic, but that's exactly why it's erotic. Right. Because it's problematic. Because, not because it's just problematic because on some pure ideal level, it's, it's mm-hmm. wrong. No, because we live in a society where you're in danger. So you're you're kind of saying that. Uh, uh, so what I'm hearing is that to engage in these sadomasochistic or sadomasochistic practices is to bring visibility to the issues that exist that are latent in our society that we don't always engage with. Boom. And then <laughs> that made me feel good. I'm sorry, I got reverberations of pleasure. You Boom. just. Uh, yeah, so it's it's to bring to it's to bring visibility to these uh, to these issues. We don't exercise them because no reason. Yeah. We exercise them because they exist and they excite us because they're taboo, because they're fucked up, because they're things that we we want to talk about, we want to engage with, but we don't know how. We find ways. Yeah. Maybe this is one of the ways. Absolutely, it's one of the ways, and you know the same thing happens. Even with, even with um, non SNM or vanilla, let's say you know sexual relations or sexual scripts, um, they are very much unequal, right? You know all these terms, doggy style and man on top, and just all the ways in which you know the normal or vanilla sex is spiced up. All of these they they propagate unequal power relations, right? Even. To me, everything. Look at any any sort of depiction of um, of heterosexual couples or a so-called normal, um, the normalized idea of of people in a romantic relationship. Right? You have a man and a woman. The man just happens to be taller than the woman. I was just thinking that. Time, I was thinking that. Time, like kissing on the. Fo- you know, the image I had in my head was this dude kissing a a, a woman on the forehead because yeah. he's taller and she's right. there nestled in the safety of his yes. warm of his man man masculine manhood, embrace. So necessary for yeah. protection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's she, what's she being protected from? Other men. Him. <laughs> <laughs> are there dangerous rivals? Oh God! <laughs> right, so oh. it's like there, there is such a, such, um, such a fetishization of unequal power relations that are based on gender, based on race, based on class, um, and these are what gets people off, whether indirectly or directly. Mm-hmm. So, then I want to ask you a final question to wrap 
this All up right. because we're we're getting deep. We're getting we've gotten a lot of good work. In today, I hope so. I mean, I'd love to talk can you, to you. Can you edit out all the lols? Haha, <laughs> lol. <laughs> lol, never. Lol, lol, lol. Lol, mal. Lol, mal. We're so hip. Now I forgot what the fuck I was going to say. What were you going to wrap up, please? I was going to wrap it. Always wrap it up. Always. Un- unless you don't need to use that at all. You don't even need to use... I was thinking of a glove on your hand, bruh. Why do I need... Okay, yeah, I guess if you're... <laughs> okay, if we're going to edit that part out too. <laughs> Is so, it okay to say fisting on your show? What's fisting? <laughs> I'll um, show you. Shat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I forgot what I was going to say. I, I was going to be eloquent and fucking... You're always eloquent. No, Abby. yeah? All right. Well, fuck me with a rubber hose. What, <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say to wrap it up? I was gonna Ask you some fucking good shit. Um, God damn it! Now we fucked it up. We fucked up the whole. We're Are gonna, we done? Done? Uh, yeah, we could be done for today. Unless you want to talk some more. No, I just wanted. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about that issue of um, of 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 consent. Ooh. Um, just what you were saying in terms of of um. You know, doms or so on. Um, let's say having um, or so, uh, someone who identifies as sub having a negative experience. Ooh. Um, and um, yeah, from there's a certain lack of reflexivity about uh, about these unequal power relations, even in the S- BDSM communities. And I do think that um, there is definitely a taken for granted. There's there's this model, you know. Uh, safe sane sexual right which you know we, we don't really think of sane we don't use that because it's kind of ableist mm-hmm. um right but there's this idea you know if it's consent it's all good but consent you know um it's sad to say but there are instances um of of violation of consent a lot of instances that you can even see on fat life let's say people having discussions or informed um in in the c- community in toronto and and um there's such a narrow, I think, um, understanding of consent even in these communities. Um, a lot of times, not always, um, because consent presupposes a certain free will. Whereas, you know, the, if there are only certain um, a limited set of possibilities from which to choose from, then how are you really? Are you really free to choose? Right. So, is is it possible to to make an analogy here? Because the way I'm picturing what you're saying is um, that the agency for consent is not looked at prior to the engagement in the conversation about consent. So to, to, show, to show an analogy with something else, it's like a police interrogation, right? Lol, that's also very S&M. <laughs> Weirdly. No, but in a police interrogation, really in a police interrogation, you have power relations that are not being addressed directly when the interrogation occurs. So at what point are we measuring the, the, the types of coercion that go into the interrogation process? So if a person who is already very mm-hmm. dominant, very abrasive, mm-hmm. very uh, very True. much into the into the lifestyle for whatever reasons, legitimate or otherwise, um, is setting up a, a verbal contract for consent with somebody who wants to attempt being submissive and offer a sense of vulnerability 
that interrogation process is not being necessarily measured by anyone. It's not being surveyed. It's not being uh, but even even in these instances of. You know, you're at a play party and there's yeah. someone having a scene and then later the sub says, yo, I was not happy. I You violated my consent and everyone else is like, but we saw you. You looked perfectly fine, right? right. And there, even it's, it's, it's really uh, painful and sad that even in these communities where it's all pro-sex, there is such, such, a, such a neglect of, of survivors' stories and, mm-hmm. and such victim blaming still, you know? Um, yeah. There's definitely a taken for granted understanding of consent, which, which um, I think is limited because c- consent needs to be ongoing and you know constantly checking in. That's why I'm really into the psychological because then you're constantly talking, right? You're constantly saying, "Hey, is this good or yeah. is this not good?" You know, yeah. what to change, right? There's there needs to be such uh, heightened uh, communication and um, yeah, that's something I think that there needs to be more work on. Yeah, because there could be a lot of coercion that goes into the process of just setting up a contract with somebody. And if a person can come in as a sadist from an unhealthy position, then it could also be said that a person can come in as a masochist from an unhealthy position. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Which means that somebody might be troubled psychologically might have issues of self-esteem but then it's a great reason to do (laughs) snm it could be it could be but if you can help with if you meet a person that that's nurturing yes but if you meet a person that's fucked up and and uses that to coerce you into a relationship yeah and again i want to juxtapose this with the with the uh, the police interrogation right yeah the person that's being interrogated they're at a lower power level than the police officer who's You're asking the questions. Triggering me, Patty, with all this police stuff. <laughs> well, right, because Just... they they're able to exercise a certain level of power that's not being spoken of in the interrogation Absolutely. process, and that's not observable from any point of view, and nobody takes that in, into consideration. You're presented with that evidence, and you say, "This is what the person answered when they were interrogated mm-hmm. with this question." Right. But you're not right, asking yeah. how that interrogation happened, how they felt in that moment, and why they gave that answer, because they felt that giving another answer might put them at a detriment might make them feel worse and might put them in a shittier position so there's a there's a whole lot that goes into this I don't have all the answers I don't have no but the problem is that um, there are no answers I have a lot of questions is what I have (laughs) yeah and um, there are people who have these answers and the the answers vary from context to context and what's important is to listen to people to survivors you know people who who um, have had these experiences which are hurtful and damaging and um, to continuously support mm-hmm. and because one of the most powerful things about um, these other communities is that you know they can provide healing spaces um, for people right, right. Who, who who are harmed by you know mainstream relationships and mainstream uh, structures so I think that um, I mean Something like this, uh, even this podcast, it could be a good platform to, to hear people out. And that was one of the ideas going into this, is hearing people's shitty experiences with these communities. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be the vessel to, to, to shit on these communities, because I do think there's so many redeeming qualities. Obviously, being part of it indicates a bias on my part of favoring these communities but I also know there's many problems in these communities just as there are in the monogamous communities so 
maybe eventually there there'll be a series in this podcast where people do talk about their shitty experiences and just have a place to be heard without, yeah without. i mean i think that your podcasm is very um i'm really proud of you for you know um the work that you're doing and um i think it's a great opportunity to have these discussions and i think it's uh, one of the strongest aspects about um um these other communities you know which we have all lumped into one and we should now refer to as other <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so you know i think uh it's, it's definitely great and um as long as there's a lot of listening and um humility and um That's yeah <laughs> inviting people who usually um may not may not even reach out to speak yeah yeah that's my extended invitation in this podcast <laughs> and that's why i, I inviting I, everyone well everyone who hasn't been heard too often and this is a good this is my opportunity to to practice humility and listen to to, to people speak um it's a good exercise for me and i hope it's a good exercise for my interviewees and i want it's i <laughs> i want to thank you for for taking your time to to come talk thanks patty and there's i feel like we just barely scratched the surface there's so much more I did i sound you. smart you always sound smart <laughs> oh, you sound patty. S- super smartual <laughs> super smartualist <laughs> taking a page from you boom until next time bye you're listening to intellectual erection a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking. Is it okay to say fisting on your show? What's fisting? <laughs> I'll show you. Shut.